Welcome to Seat Time, everybody, the online show for the off-road enthusiast. I'm Brian Pierce, your host and purveyor of awesome. For this history lesson, we chat with Steve Hatch, longtime factory Suzuki racer, 1994 national enduro champion, and six-time ISDE gold medal winner. He's got some great stories, so thanks for tuning in. I just received my 2018 Sherco 300 SER. I'll be swapping out the springs and getting ready to ride this coming Sunday. Make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel to be the first to watch the video of the unboxing and first ride. However you're listening to this, a share, a like, a rating, or a comment is a great way to get this podcast in front of more listeners. If you'd like to support us, consider becoming a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash seat time. Buying a seat time t-shirt from us at fpmg.threadless.com or using any of the affiliate links on seattime.co slash support, specifically the Amazon banner. All right, and now we are here with Mr. Steve Hatch for another history lesson. So let's get into this. I have to ask Mr. Steve Hatch, how is your evening going, kind sir? <laughs> it's going fantastic up here in uh, Ithaca, New York area, and uh, full moon, and it's beautiful outside. So um, life is good. I have to say, you are the first guest that we've had on where I can actually hear all of the little animals chirping in the background. I mean, it sounds, it's so relaxing, honestly. <laughs> good. That's that's what that's what it's all about. Living out here in the country is uh, very uh, relaxing and uh, leaves are changing and fall is in the air and it's fantastic. I wish that I could say that was the case for us here in North Texas right now. It was Rainy and muggy and super humid, and yesterday it was like 90 degrees and humid without even any rain, and I don't think that it knows that it should be almost fall yet. <laughs> no, I've heard it's super hot down there still. I'm uh, dragging my feet to head south until it cools down for sure. Yeah, don't don't schedule any uh, test or any uh, camps down here for at least another month, and then that way you can just put some extra layers on and we can have a little bit more fun. <laughs> absolutely cool well dude um it's one of those things like what got you up to ithaca new york i mean you've been around the country you've done all these kinds of things like how did you land in new york well i actually grew up right here in upstate new york uh ithaca area it's got a cornell university and it's a college a bunch of different colleges close to here in syracuse so um part of the finger lakes and and this is where i grew up so i was here till through college and then after college, I said, for one year, I'm going to go racing. And I ended up uh, racing professionally for 18 years as a factory rider. And now I'm coaching, mentoring, and training riders for the last 12 years since I retired. So I'm back to the ground roots as well as uh, family is still here and everybody's getting older. So my wife and I have both have family back here and decided to move back here after uh, almost 25 years away. Man. Okay. And so where were you living for the majority of your career? Um, everywhere, of course, as you can imagine, <laughs> the world was the, the home or hotel, right? But uh, right. most of it was in um, kind of Northern California. I lived there for about eight years, especially in the wintertime, traveled a lot during the season and kind of went from race to race. Um, and then, uh, once I got married, we basically moved to, um, Phoenix, uh, Arizona and we lived there the last 17 years. And then we moved back here to upstate New York about four years ago. So I've been all over the, the, the nation and, uh, it's pretty neat. Ah, oh, dude, I bet with all your travels, either for racing, for coaching, or just kind of even, even just going through life, what were some of the highlights, you know, some place where you're like, man, I, I got to make it back here either with a dirt bike. Cause you came without one, or you went someplace with a dirt bike and you're like, someday I'm going to come back out, back out here without a dirt bike to enjoy it a little bit differently. Yeah. Wow. Brian, there's so many of those, obviously all over the world. Um, probably the top three are definitely Kauai, Hawaii. Um, I did get to 
uh, a vacation there and honeymoon there with my wife. And then we did get to go back there and ride uh, with two of my heroes and uh, friends, uh, Jeremy McGrath and Greg Albertine, um, back about 10 years ago. So that was unbelievable. And they had some stuff called the Hawaiian ice that's the slipperiest stuff I've ever ridden on. And twice I saw McGrath right in front of me, trail riding, spin around backwards. And he didn't crash, of course, because he's got balance like a cat. But we almost hit as I was falling behind him. And he just spun around, and it was the most uh, balanced ballet I've ever seen in a rider on a dirt bike, for one. But for two, he didn't crash neither time, but it was that slipper. You literally couldn't even stand up on it without slipping and falling like a cartoon character on a banana peel. Wow. I bet there's very few riders out there that have actually seen Jerry McGrath on a dirt bike with helmet and goggles on and an oh shit face through those goggles. <laughs> Exactly. He was as surprised as I was. My eyes were that big going, wait a minute, here's one of the most technically uh, advanced, and I'd have to say, um, traction control guys that's, you know, a freaking nature of the world, which is awesome. Great guy, of course, and down to earth, and we had so much fun. They kept yelling at us doing some tv video and, and different stuff we were doing for uh for a tv show over there but because uh, we kept sneaking off and wheeling logs and setting up trial sections and looking for sea hop jumps through the woods or out in the fields and stuff so it was it was so much fun but yeah to, to see that and hang out with him and uh, greg was amazing that's awesome, dude. Yeah, it's, uh, I got a chance to do the Rip to Cabo, and there was just so many cool dudes with Cameron Steele and Mark Moss and some of the other guys, uh, Sonny Garcia out there. It's just like insane when, you know, for myself, it's obviously a little bit different, but you being a professional and you're just still seeing Jeremy McGrath, I was enamored just kind of like being on a dirt bike next to those guys. Um, so it's, that's pretty neat. Um, it's just fun. You know, have you ever had a chance to ride down in uh, Baja and do, did you get a chance to do the thousand? I have ridden down there quite a little, uh, bit with the FMF Baja ride and different times with Takati and a few different ones. I have been asked uh, numerous times to go race the Baja 1000. I never have done it. Um, I know a lot of people that have, especially living in Arizona. A lot of the buddies there do the trophy trucks or different you know race vehicles down there. But I've never done the Baja. Um, I've ridden it all the way around there, and it's definitely fun. But uh, uh, I don't know. I just... Uh, I like the tight woods and the Baja's quite a ways from it. And then uh, also just trying to, you know, be safe and think about the, the future some. And Danny Hamill and different guys, obviously, and Caselli and a bunch of those guys are like a, a lot of the racers and, and people that are inspired by the sport were my heroes and best friends and uh, got taken away. So it's one of those things. It's a double-edged sword for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why it took my dad and I a while to get down there just to even go uh, try to get involved with some of these some of these rides. And now that we have it's it's such a an amazing place. But you're right. It's it's a place that's very raw and it can bite back. And it's it is a, it's an interesting uh, it is a, just a double edged sword. So you got to be very careful. Um, but it's awesome. It's tough to say. So Steve Hatch, you did you still do awesome things on dirt bikes. You've done crazy things for off-road throughout throughout your years. You even said it, you know, you started there in upstate New York. Like where does dirt bike riding start for you? How does that become a thing? Was it something that happened within the family or something you picked up on your own? Yeah. My mom and dad were school teachers for 30 years. And uh, one of the things we would go, and my dad uh, played around with uh, British cars, restoring him, them and painting them and building the motors and doing stuff with cars. So I was also around him and, and speed with that. And he did some car racing. And it was a, a little car show in upstate New York when I was like nine years old. And uh, there was a little mini bike at the uh, car show for 35 bucks, I remember. And I told my parents, who were always about earning stuff, that I would do the dishes uh, for, I think it was a month straight, if uh, they'd buy me this dirt bike. So it started with an old piece of junk, no brakes, Bridge and Stratton, three horsepower, um, wannabe dirt bike. And uh, yeah, and that's how it all began, just riding around the fields up near my parents' house. We had like 14 acres, so we were out in the wilderness. I'm Right now, I'm, I live probably 15 minutes away from them now from where I grew up, so pretty neat to come back to this area. Oh my gosh, that's got to be so neat. Is there the potential that some of the you know original trails that you grew up riding on are actually still there and still rideable for you guys? Absolutely. 
I was just out there today with uh, three riders from uh, uh, Massachusetts came over down to New York to train with me. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the same trails that uh, help uh, ride or cut or was with a lot of the guys that we put on. The Speedsville National Enduro is one of them that was right here in my backyard. And um, we, we had a good crew of uh, riders that were a lot of fun. And uh, one of my best friends and I, we were uh, definitely – the youngest of two coming into it and nervous novices and quite a few of these guys were 10, 15 years older than us and already experts. So they, they, they smoked us around and beat us around and stuffed us and roost us and ran over us and used us for traction for about four or five years until we got bigger, stronger and faster. And then we, then we came back to, to get our revenge, but it was, uh, it's the same trail, same fun up here for sure. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's the one thing. It's kind of weird to go back to Louisiana and then go over to, you know, uh, like Gulf Shores and some of the area over there and how much it's changed, but then at the same time, how much it's the same. I've heard that Breezy Hill might be coming back. I don't know if you were down there and remember that area. So it's just kind of interesting. Now in North Texas, though, we just have a, lot of, a lot of private land, so it's really crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm been down in the texas a lot last probably five years doing a bunch of coaching and uh yeah it's really the the big ranches and stuff like that now where it used to be like everywhere used to be a lot more uh available and you know unfortunately there's a lot of tweaks and changes good and bad that uh, that make it on one side you know tougher and on the other side uh, a lot of the a lot of the riders get it and you know try to open up their ranches for riding parks or races or whatever which is very cool yeah, and someday that's what the electric bikes are going to come in. I know we'll get to that in a little bit when we're talking more about the gas gas and what you guys are up to. So how does a nine-year-old who gets on, a, as you put it, a, a, you know, a piece of work, motorcycle, you know, a little mini bike, you know, where, where do you start to make the transition or where do you start to see racing, right? Like go, hey, I want to, I want to, you know, not just compete against the guys that are older than me and then try to beat them, but where do you go, hey, I want to go race. I want to go compete. How does that kind of like, where does that transition happen? Um, it was about, uh, when I was probably about 12 years old in middle school and one of my good friends, um, Ethan Goodrich that we grew up together. He, he was the one that his dad was into the, the racing and mechanicing and all the buddies kind of went out of their shop. So he said, Hey, you gotta come and do one of these little dirt bike race things. And I thought, Oh God, I don't think so. You know, too nervous to want to go do something like that. And, uh, sure enough, they took me out there and, and I'm remember it was a parade lap around it brian and the first lap you got to check it out and i was a little 80 so i was muddy and out of control and trying to just make a lap and nervous of course for the first race ever and the bike kind of broke i can't remember why i think uh I think it got uh, mud in the overflow or something. And anyway, they had to like come out and get me in the woods. Told me back on this little trailer. I remember like bouncing around and thinking I was going to die there as a little kid. And uh, I get back and here's all those big guys I was telling you about that are good mechanics and good racers. And they're tearing my bike apart. And on one hand, I was like praying that they couldn't get it fixed. I didn't think <laughs> I really wanted to race. On the other hand, I was kind of hoping to race. And they got it going like with one minute to spare, put it all back together. And I raced and I think there was four of us. And I got, I think, I can't remember actually, second or third. I didn't win, but I got the bug. And from there on, it, it, uh, it really took off as far as enjoying it and i never actually i never actually thought i'd be a racer um i love cars and race cars and formula one so i always wanted to do that but who doesn't and uh you know it's a little different uh income level so i thought well i'll ride these dirt bikes in the interim but uh i'm still on them today and and love them they've been a a life of joy as well as uh, getting to meet some of the best people like yourself from around the world and uh it's been you know just what i love to do so it's it's really been a a great career of, of being around good people and enjoying two wheels for sure. Absolutely. So I, I always find it interesting the, 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 the way that people transition to throughout the bikes that they're on, right? So you were talking about an 80 that you were on kind of in this first race, you know, and you go, oh, okay, I got the bug. Like I'm going to, I'm going to kind of try to focus a little bit more on this racing and figure this out. Like what, what, what does that look like as you kind of move through the bikes and then you start kind of getting to that point where someone says, hey, you're fast, you know, would, would you ride for us? You know, and then obviously we do know that you spent 18 years as a, as a factory racer as well. So, you know, as you kind of moved off to 80 and moved up to a 125, like what were what, what bikes were you on and what kind of like, and I use air quotes, programs as well. Were, were you, uh, what tutelage did you have? <laughs> um, pretty much 
wing it and pray for the best and uh, bald tires and no maintenance. So I was definitely the um, poster child for uh, no maintenance. So run what you run, to say the least. But yeah, exactly. But I had a lot of determination, I think, and still do. So I think that's the only thing that kept me going. But uh, and I love riding dirt bikes and going fast. So that was obviously the adrenaline junkie in all of us. um, but yeah, after that 80, I actually went up to a 125 Husky back in the day and, um, they had some issues with those years. And I remember my buddy and I, that I was telling you about that talked me into certain racing. We would work on those. We both bought the same bikes, first new bike I ever had. So that was like whatever, six, seven years into riding dirt bikes and uh, first new bike. So I was so excited and we would work on those things all week long to DNF every weekend. They were, everything <laughs> would break and this and that. And they were, it was too tall. I remember I was just a little midget guy anyway, it felt like. So I was like, the seat came to my chest and trying to get on it. I had to do one of those run deals and jump on with your, you know, look like Superman, then flip on with your feet. So <laughs> in the Enduros or different stuff that I got in, got into, I literally, like, as soon as I got out of balance, I do the air dab like three times and then high side down the, you know, hill onto my head. So that was definitely some battles, but that actually made me, now that I look back at a lot of that stuff, um, a way better rider because I didn't have the option to just dangle my feet or to touch the ground. So um, went from there, and if I remember right, I think I went uh, to uh, 250 after that. Honda CR250. I got into motocross pretty heavy um, when I was like 14, 15, 16, and started as a novice in 14 and turned pro at 16. So I was into moto pretty good. And then once I was 16, I could get in the, the Enduros, started racing those. And uh, it was right about that, 16 or 17. I did the National Enduro right here in Speedsville. And I got on the road with Dave Bertram, who was factory Suzuki back in the day with Randy Hawkins. And we tested the, the week. You know, a couple of days before, and they, I showed them some of my tracks and riding, and uh, that obviously helped. And uh, you know, getting teamed up with them a little bit to uh, to show them around because that always helps to to see the area for those guys. And we became friends, and I raced with them. And I remember that day. And plus, I knew the trail, so it was a little bit cheating. But uh, um, you know, it was a hundred mile enduro, and I was running over Dave Bertram, and I was only you know an A rider back then in enduros. And uh, they 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 said, "Holy cow!" He waved me by about five times during the day, which is not really what you usually see. And I think <laughs> not I ended what you would expect. Yeah. National enduro, so. No, so that was pretty cool. And then, then the next weekend, they're like, all right, well, let's put you with Randy Hawkins, who, uh, same with Dave, have been lifelong friends. And uh, they're like, well, he's the number one plate guy. Why don't you ride with him? And it happened to be in Michigan, which I had spent a lot of time by this time in this the uh, Croom in Florida and a lot of sand. So I was really pretty good at the sand. So I remember in the first test, I was right on him and thinking, man, he should go a lot faster. And he crashed. And then I'm behind him going, oh, man, here's the number one guy. And I don't want to go by him. What do I I do because he's keeping time and he's waving me by waving me by so i pinned it and we got to the first check and i was ahead of him and the check crew looked at us like who the heck's this guy in front of hawkins so um i think i ended up second at that one so anyway that's right after that i got a little care package like a piston ring in the mail and if if i remember right that was on my motocross bike with stock suspension and basically some you know half bald tires and just an attitude to twist the thing on the butt. oh my gosh that's awesome so uh Holy crap. So what about the timekeeping aspect of everything? Like, where did that come into play for you? Because I know you said you did a little bit of testing with Dave and then obviously getting put on the road with Randy. So if these guys are keeping time, they're not waving you by, right? Unless Randy's just trying to mess with you, I can imagine. Um, but So did you really kind of, quote unquote, know how to timekeep at that point? Or are you just really only going you know, beyond them when they would be like, no, it's time to go and go fast? Yeah, good question, Brian. No, we were definitely late. Um, and as you know, it's a lot easier, obviously, to follow somebody than to lead. So in this, especially the Enduros, where you're usually just hitting the, the reading the arrows and hitting the trail once, uh, you know, I can follow those guys decently well. But yeah, once we were way late and they made mistakes or they knew we were late, they waved me by, which is, I mean, we were, you know, three, four minutes late. We weren't going to make it up. So they, were, they weren't trying to um, you know, jack with me at all, but, uh, it was pretty cool. I was like, uh, you know, here's my heroes and they're, they're letting me kind of race in front of them or waving me by. It was definitely a, um, cool, cool feeling to say the least. And, and then after that, obviously once I got into the Enduros more and everything else, you can't ride on the same road with another 
double A guy, so you got to know how to do it all. So I, I learned it. I knew quite a lot of it. One of my mentors here that was like nine-time New York State champion, Ray Davis, he kind of put me under his tutelage and helped me be, just you know before getting into the Nationals and into the Nationals and would help take me, take me to the races and stuff like that. I never even had a pickup truck or anything. I just left my buddy my bike at my buddy's house there, Ethan's, and, uh, and the guys would come there, and we'd go from there, and I'd give them a little gas money. I usually would work for my dad sanding this old cars um, in the garage on Saturday for five, six hours. I remember like $4 an hour, enough enough money basically to get. So I had like 10 bucks for gas money and 20 bucks for the entry and then and I'd be done. I remember my arms were sore on Sunday for the race from sanding cars to make a few bucks, but it was definitely uh, good times and really fun. Oh man. Yeah. So then you're, when did the, uh, when, when did, you know, becoming part of factory Suzuki become, you know, I guess a reality for you. I know you were the 1994 national enduro champion on Suzuki's, but when did you actually join the factory Suzuki team? Yeah. So that 89 story of getting put on and getting a ride and hang out with uh, Dave and Randy here in New York, um, getting fourth or whatever that definitely put me on the radar with Charles Holcomb, who was the, that race team manager for team Suzuki off road at that time. And then, in 1990, let me get this right. Yeah, 1990 or 91, Dave Bertram decided to retire, and I was right kind of behind him. And that's where um, I think it was 90. I do have posters from 90, but I was kind of on the team. And I, and actually, Randy gave me one of his extra race bikes, which is like unheard of. I think he only got four back in the day, and he gave me one of them for the year um, to race on and. Uh, and Dale Stiegel, his mechanic, helped um, uh, mechanic on it. And I was actually going to college full-time for economics and management science at the time. So for like those first two years, even on factory Suzuki, I was going to college still. Oh, my gosh. That must have been tough. Yeah. So I was busy. <laughs> yeah. I, it took me five years to go to college yep. without racing and, dirt bikes. So I can only ahead. imagine, uh, you know, trying to do it <laughs> and also be a professional dirt bike racer. Yeah, it was it was definitely hard looking back at it. Now I was like, man, how the heck did I do all that? And uh, I remember a few of the funny stories, you know, going back to class and big lecture hall on Monday morning. I remember one kid kind of leaned over to me. I'm like, hey, how, how was your weekend? And he's like, oh, my God, it was so crazy. And he's you know, probably going out, whatever, partying or whatever he did. And he's like, yeah, I'm so exhausted. And I just thought, I'm not even going to tell him my story. I think I flew out on a red eye like – Thursday night, we did photos and tested Friday. We went to the race at the Sawmill National Enduro on Sunday and raced it all day. I had mud in my hair, still, you know, filthy. Jumped on the red eye, back, flew all night, got to the airport and drove straight to class. Still with, like, mud in my hair and my teeth from the weekend. And I was like, I'm not even going to tell him that uh, I'm, I'm probably more tired, I'd have to say. But it was pretty funny. <laughs> like at that point, you probably could have almost had a smell competition too to see who was uh, who was actually the mo- most ripe. <laughs> exactly, I definitely would have won with all the, the dirt still in my hair. Oh, funny. I bet. I always liked it, you know, in high school and stuff when I'd come back and kind of have like a little bit of a like a for whatever reason. I remember like a couple times being an idiot and taking my goggles off, and you'd catch something in the face and get all scraped up, or you know, you'd catch a thorn branch across the neck and you'd get all scraped up. And all the girls, man, oh my god, what happened? And I'm like, yeah, I raced dirt bikes, <laughs> like. <laughs> I was such a nerd, and I mean, I'm really still a nerd. But it was always, always felt cool when like the chicks, like you know, cared, if you will. Well, they pretended to anyway. But I'm sure that that I'm sure I'm sure you've had uh, your, your fair moments of that as well. <laughs> Absolutely. After all those muddy races, and then we sleep in the night, and we try to wake up and pry our eyes apart. There, it's uh, disgusting. But yeah, stuck together with all the mud and goop in your eyes because you ch- chucked your your goggles and yeah it's overrated i don't miss that at all since i retired my eyes have never stuck together because of the mud from the day before (laughs) oh man yeah i bet so we go to 1990 you're kind of on the suzuki team and now 94 is when you become the national enduro champion like what what did it take right for you to get to that point and then what was it about 94 that just where everything was able to come together for you for you able to get that championship Yeah, just finally got it all together. Um, I was pretty close. Uh, Randy Hawkins won it also. Actually, Jeff Russell won it in 91. I think Randy was injured, but I wasn't quite that 
right on uh, consistency. 92, I just missed it. Randy beat me by a few points. I had a few mechanicals. 93, similar. I was fast, but made mistakes. Then 94, finally got it together, but it wasn't a... Um, it wasn't a you know a perfect season by any means. I think during it I had uh, you know little stuff, not major, but out of the nine national enduros, four of them I had broken bones. I was riding with whether it was my you know feet or hand, hand or this or that, but I still won. I think five nationals that year and got three seconds and one third. So still did good and just got it together and was racing good and it was it was my season for sure and you know a ton of fun when you win it. Oh my gosh! So you won that national enduro championship with with broken bones, like throughout the year. Yep, absolutely. Oh, yep. that's so brutal. <laughs> I, I, I like, <laughs> yeah, I always say, mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. So uh, you know, it's that determination <laughs> and a little bit of pain. A little bit of pain's temporary, and you know, like they say in the the funny slogans, glory is forever. So I, I definitely uh, wanted it to say the least. And uh, it worked out for me that year, which I was very excited about. Yeah, dude, that's it, it, gotta be such a great feeling. And it said, and I, you know, trying to do my research, you know, six ISDE gold medals. Did you, I would assume that you went more than six times or did you just have that much awesome experiences over there to every six time, every time you went, you were able to get a gold. Yeah, I actually went eight times uh, in a row, and I got one silver medal in my very first one in Sweden, which was a pretty gnarly race anyway. Um, and then, yeah, I think I got uh, five golds, and then in Poland, I broke my ankle on day four. We pushed the bike back to the park for me and then um, rebuilt it. But one of our other riders, back when we had six on the trophy team and he couldn't drop anybody, he he was he DNF'd also. So they decided not to, we decided not to put, go back in for me. But um, so yeah, not too bad. Six golds, one silver and one DNF. Oh man, man. Um, um, when, when were those for you? Was that in the middle of all of your of your within your ninety four national enduro championship or was that after that sorry i said one more time brian it was oh, breaking up just a little bit no yeah when those eight those eight times did you go what kind of what was that time frame for you for those uh, um the first one i did was 1990 in sweden 91 Checo, 92 australia 93 holland 94 usa 95 poland 96 finland and 97 italy that's a really good memory, by the way. <laughs> I try to. I, I have been knocked out a few times, but I try to keep sharp. <laughs> With the that's awesome to think about ninety four too, because uh, the Zinc Ranch we've ne- we're now going there uh, on a on a consistent basis for the National Enduros, uh, and I did get to go ride there last year, and we're going to be there again in another week and a half. Uh, have you? had a chance to go down to that property or would you think about going down for that national enduro to kind of re-ride that area from 94? Well, I do know you guys are racing a bunch of my riders. I train will be down there. Um, one of the things is we did that race when it used to be a four day qualifier, when they had the qualifier series for qualifying for six days, which they've obviously kind of brought it back some and the sprint enduro series is doing well. But, um, so there used to be like two on the West coast, two central, uh, in the U S and two Eastern. And we would do a four day ride. I think I did it three or four years in a row before it actually went there as a six days. And then as you probably know, living there in Texas, they, um, you're close by, obviously, not in Oklahoma, but um, they didn't run it, from what I gather, for years and years. And obviously, Alan Rand, a bunch of them, and the National Enduros has been back down there the last few years. So I haven't ridden there since. Um, it would be pretty cool. And I've heard a lot of the trails are a little bit different, which is nice, because I remember riding all those four days and the six days. And it felt like you had broken wrists after the uh, the, the days, because it was so, like, five to eight. 10 inch rocks that were just square and stuck in the ground and every two feet and in the tight woods, it was just uh, pretty brutal on the body and the, the bike. I mean, it's fun, but uh, I think it's changed a little bit. Have you, you rode it, you said a year or two ago, is it a little bit more fun trails I've heard? I actually had a lot of fun last year and I've got a lot of helmet footage. So if anybody's interested to see what it is like before we go, you can go check that out on the Sea time YouTube channel from last year. But yeah, I actually really enjoyed it. It is really weird because the rocks you're talking about, I didn't expect those at all 
Um, and so like after the first test, I was like, okay, so I need to, I need to open up, <laughs> I need to open up my compression and speed up my rebound. I was like, holy crap. I was like, this is way, uh, way choppier than I thought it was going to be. But once I did that and I kind of was mentally was ready for the rocks, I really enjoyed it. Um, and I just know now that we did get some rain here in Texas. Hopefully they got some of that in Oklahoma. If not, it is going to be a dust bowl this coming weekend and, or next weekend. And that's, that's not going to be fun, but is what it is, and we just go race the race we're given. So, absolutely, yeah. No, it definitely was uh, um, fun through the trees and beautiful ranch and great area, of course. So, it uh, definitely. I'm I'm glad they have some of the rocks still in there, and I've heard from other riders too that it's it's uh, some other trails and fun. So, that's that's what it's about. If it was close, I'd probably go do it. But since it's a little ways away. I, kind of uh now go to some of the races to cheer on the riders i'm coaching and uh other than that it's really to to help help them out some and, and enjoy seeing how well they're doing since their 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 goals and dreams are what i'm after now to help them achieve those so i figure if i'm if i'm racing sometimes i'm taking away from uh helping them achieve their greatness no oh, yeah and that's totally understandable with with the coaching that you're doing for for all these riders um, now, and I know that you coach all a plethora of riders, right? Not just Enduros, but GNCC, probably off-road and motocross as well. Um, specifically within the, the Enduro series, what do you think about the format change? I don't know if there's if you ever had a discussion with anybody about that, but obviously one of the biggest things is that because of timekeeping, you know, the interest level was down. Um, and so Alan Rant and the NEPG, they made, you know, that once they got hold of the series, they made some changes to the new format that we have now, a lot more of the, you know, test, transfer, test, transfer, test, transfer, and you just go, right, and, and, and things like that. So now that we are where we are and we've had the changes that we've had throughout the past couple of years, you know, what are your thoughts on the new format and, and how it's evolved? Yeah, I actually love it. I think it's great. And, uh, you know, even back when I was racing, I think for a lot of times, um, you know, I wasn't as good as some of the better timekeepers and there's a lot of little tricks you can do and kind of roll the dice a little if you can get into a section early if there's no check-in and a lot of ways that not always the fastest guy wins where, uh, you know, it's one of those things now that there's there's no fool in the clock. It is what it is. I love it because you can have the, the real, you know, off-road enduro guys that that's all they do and then you can have uh, motocross guys come in and enjoy it as well as anybody from trials to any background and get to do these races and uh, really see how they stack up against the fastest enduro guys in the you know the U.S. for sure. Um, so I think it's a great change. Obviously, the numbers are up. Alan Rance, obviously, a great guy, and Melissa, um, friends for years, and they've they've done a fantastic job. They're very organized. Um, people are enjoying it. The, cl- cl- the courses are consistent. They're you know obviously they arrowed early as well as ridden many times. So they're doing the whole thing, and they've made, they've really turned that around because it's definitely a kind of a, a dying breed because not everybody has an extra of whatever 300 500 bucks and an extra week or two or years to learn how to time keep it, it was too complex for today's world everybody just wants instant gratification and am i fast or slow or how'd the test go and and just pin it to win it so i, I love the new format yeah I, i'm i'm obviously a, i'm a big fan as well of the new format um i don't know if you've ever had a chance to do any kind of rally racing but i did do the baja rally in 2014 and i i thought that that was a timekeeper's dream you know it, for those people that that want to hold on to timekeepers or that just enjoyed them you know whether you do or don't enjoy the new enduros if you've enjoyed timekeeping enduros rally is what you need to go do because it's it's timekeeping on steroids because you're not just keeping time, but you're using a route book to literally tell you where to go. Um, and so that it was awesome. And I wish that we had a little bit more accessibility for that kind of stuff here in the States. Cause I would love to do more of that. That's awesome, Brian. And yeah, I've, uh, I haven't done many of those. I'm pretty sure. And correct me if I'm wrong. Did Scott Bright win that one there? there that is correct 2014 was the year that he won and then steve uh uh, i'm gonna say his last name hengeveld he's run the baja 1000 a handful of times as well he's he's won the uh the baja rally the past two years so then what was that 15 and 16 yeah so it it was bright 2014 that's correct yep 
Yep. I was just in Colorado with them. He's a good buddy of mine. So, and they're, you're right. They seem really fun. I think I would get, get into that for sure. Um, meaning it's, it's a, a very a game you play well on your dirt bike and try to not get lost and try to hit all the checkpoints and be at the right time and all the stuff like you're saying. Um, so all that's pretty intriguing to myself also. So I can see how you'd, you'd really enjoy that. I think that's neat. Well, here's what you got to do. Now that you've got a new affiliation with Gas Gas, you've got to get them to make a rally bike, and then they can support you in that part of your life. (laughs) Nice. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. I really think that you guys are just going to kill it. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't take too long to develop a rally bike. Maybe we'll just take two or three of these bikes and weld them together and see if we get something with enough power. Enough motor and top speed. I got a 600 cc two stroke. Is this gonna work? What do you think? <laughs> With all the fairings on it, should yeah, be good. should be great. Well, yeah. So tell us a little bit about this uh, this this new affiliation of yours with Gas Gas and and what the setup is there. You know, is that something that your uh, riders that you're working with are going to be able to take advantage of, or is it just something right now currently for them? Kind of, you're like a brand ambassador, so that you can be on the bikes and learning about the bikes and giving them feedback. Um, what's the situation look like? Yeah, so it's it's a great situation on both accounts for Gas Gas and for Steve Hatch Racing. Um, it kind of started as getting a couple of trials bikes, and uh, um, uh, Jubal Brown, one of the riders I work with a lot out of Idaho, um, he's the West Coast rep last, I think, year and a half now, and we were working together in Arizona last, you know, beginning of this year, actually. And uh, I was like, hey, I'm thinking about trying to get a couple of trials bikes and, you know, gas gas, obviously. And I've had gas gas years ago when I, you know, bought trials bikes and been riding them for through my whole career to cross train on. So he's like, oh, yeah, that's neat. Maybe there's a way we could somehow tie it all together with, uh, you know, the big bikes. Are you open to something like that? I'm like, yeah, heck yeah, that'd be great. So basically what it is, Mark Berg, who's the gas gas North America um, head honcho, is uh, um, obviously help pushing and getting these new 18 and gas gas back on the map. Um, they have obviously uh, a strong network now um, with obviously Spain where they're from. And the owner now that basically bought them is a business guy that went to Harvard and from, from Spain, he and his brother and basically are very uh, sharp on buying and selling companies and taking them and, and turning them into winning type of companies. So, that all being said, I obviously did a bunch of research on, on the company to know if I wanted to be affiliated with my name on it or them vice versa, if I could help them. And basically, I have now have uh, two gas gas trials bikes, uh, uh, 280 um, in different models that are their uh, lower end and middle end, and they have a higher end bike. And basically, anybody that trains with me or does any of my um, clinics or anything like that, if I got the bikes with me, it's kind of a demo program where I'm just a brand ambassador for them. As well as I've been riding their uh, their new 2018 XC um, 300, I've got now their 250s are coming out um, shortly. <clears throat> I should have mine, and then the other cool thing they're building is uh, 200s are coming out in December, so they're going to be a little bit later. But the bikes are really good. They have obviously the KYB suspension on them. Uh, um, they have basically, I mean, it really looks like really closely to a few other brands that are the top brands at the moment. Um, so. It's actually a really good package that they basically took the old gas gas and the old suspension and frame and motor and weight and everything and chucked in the trash can and started fresh. So it's uh, it's a really good jump start on a, on, a, on a good company as well as, you know, you, you mentioned it before, my other kind of thought looking down the road with these guys is um, one of their sister companies, um, Tura, is basically out of Europe and it's the, the bigger company they own is affiliated with bicycles and electric bicycles. So like you said, I think the future down the road is potentially going to be some sort of dirt bike that's obviously electric. So uh, that's kind of my thought too is getting in with a company that's going to be aggressive and potentially crossing there. Yeah, I like that. I mean, with what Alta is doing um, and, and the progress they've made, right? Like, you know, we saw Osat and a couple other brands, Zero and stuff like that. But what, what what Alta did coming in saying, no, we want to make a bike that can be there for 40 minutes, which is a moto. And we want it to be compat- competitive in the 250 class. Like that takes a lot more gusto than anything else. But now that we now now I think that people see how successful they've been with such a with such a fine tooth goal right of being competitive in the 250 class opposed to just making an electric dirt bike 
Um, what it, what we're seeing now is now the KTM electric free ride has come over to the United States. We're seeing, you know, we know that with uh, Toro and Gas Gas that they're going to be probably developing something down the future. Um, it's going to be such an interesting market in the next five years. Um, the developments that we're going to see happen. I mean, just in the next year alone to see what a company like Ulta is going to do um, and then the potential developments for the brand like KTM with their electric free ride and does that thing even does that engine just bolt into a 250 frame right like it may not today but in 2 years it might kind of a thing like that's going to be so neat and then obviously we know that Toro and Gas Gas that is already in the R&D like that has to be um, and so in the next 2 to 3 years that we would at least be seeing um, something, you know, maybe pre-production type of stuff for, for what that's going to be. But I think the next five years in the electric dirt bike area is going to be pretty stinking awesome. Yeah, I can agree with you more, Brian. I think it's uh, really neat. I, I did have a chance. I was doing a clinic out in Colorado a couple months ago and uh, to throw my leg over the uh, Alta and uh, wow. I was shocked. That thing's so stinking fast. I, I could have flipped it over or crashed any second if uh, if I rode it like I wanted to. And just because it was in the ballistic mode, I was sideways and spinning everywhere, you know. And it's it's impressive when you can get that much horsepower. And, you know, now obviously you got to get the lag out of it and some of the different things. And we're just not used to it because we're used to the clutch and throttle. But uh, I agree. I'm, I know that obviously we all see the future and uh, that being the right way to go. And I think, you know, as mentioned to some of the riders today coaching him that I think down the road, that's going to open a whole other avenue. Like you see all these BMX or skate parks or stuff, obviously in the urban areas. And that's That's really thankfully i think going to be the only savior to help you know obviously we'd love riding through the woods and hopefully that'll open more places back up for us that may have closed down with the noise and, and different things but i think it's going to be a great one to uh to help you know grow this sport in the future because i think without it it's getting pretty tough yeah i would agree I, and um you know and and one of the things that's interesting is my son, for whatever reason, just had either he didn't like loud noises or they hurt his ears, right? So we were always earmuffing it and stuff like that. So when he was like two, two and a half years old, we just got him an electric OSOT, right? Because he loved riding his bicycle. He just didn't like being around either the four-wheeler or the dirt bikes when they were running. And he got on the electric dirt bike and just took off. Um, and so, you know, it, it's like, it's one of those interesting things too, where sometimes we don't even think about the noise level and what it can do and, and how it can be, you know, what's the, like, like trash to people's ears. Um, and, and it sucks to think that because we love it, right? Like there's just something about the way a dirt bike feels when it's running, you know, <laughs> when you're holding on to it. And then also too, the way it sounds like, especially when you have your helmet on and you're riding it. But at the same time, like we have to evolve, like we as riders, not just we as in the sport and realize that, you know, to that point, everything is changing. And if we don't find a way to evolve and change with it to whatever degree we need to, that we're going to get left in the dust and it's going to be dust created by somebody else that's making money or taking our sport or whatever. And I just want to keep having fun and twisting the throttle. So I'm going to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you. Absolutely. And I'm saying I've had my daughter who's just turned 16, but she's been the one since she was eight on the OSAT. Uh, two different models and as she grew so yeah it's it's a great uh, stepping stone like you said and even now with those little striders for the little 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 kids it's uh, amazing you know what they can have at their you know learning process compared to what we had which is i think awesome that it's going to be the future which is fun to fun to see and it's going to it's going to open it up like we're saying to a lot more possibilities and you're right you either you either change or become extinct one of the two yeah. Well, you said the perfect thing for us to wrap this up. You said learning process. And I know that you've been doing this for a while now with Steve Hatch Racing. So why don't you give us kind of a recap there and, and you know, give us the pitch, give us the five-minute sale, whatever it is, or just tell us all the cool shit you're doing, whatever it is that you feel like. So that way, those of you that have listened to this and are like, holy crap, I want to know more about what it is that these riders that Steve Hatch is training and this Steve Hatch Racing program so that we can get that out there for you just a tad bit more. Yeah, that sounds awesome. So basically, um, you know, since I retired from racing, I basically jumped into coaching full time. So it's coaching, mentoring and training riders. Um, and I do all levels from beginners to pros. Um, I basically have different programs that they can do anywhere from online programs that I've created 
um, over 80 video clips, like three to five minutes long. Took me three years to film them, all shot obviously in high def and uh, all over New York and Arizona and different places um, with voiceovers, you name it, as well as made the DVDs out of those. And I have um, over 80 documents I've written on nutrition, training, um, how to prep for a race, to uh, testing, to how to get sponsors, all sorts of cool topics that are everything that I learned the hard way or wanted to know and, and work at to get better at. So um, a lot of a lot of information there, as well as some of the other programs or um, clinics. I've been coaching those all over the, the world, even back when I was racing, some in Japan and uh, Brazil and you name it, but now mostly in the United States. Um, I have riding clinics that I do all over the us um as well as training boot camps that you're like two to ten day long boot camps um i was just down a couple three years ago with caleb russell for 10 days doing a boot camp just he and i um i've been blessed to work with a lot of the great riders of um ryan sipes and taylor robert and uh, josh tooth this year and ben kelly and a bunch of different riders um throughout the years with nate Ganey and you name it from motocross to supercross to enduro to gncc to everything and uh, that's one of the, the things that I enjoy paying it for is the learning that I did. And I think, you know, a lot of levels, uh, you know, you can always get better, you know, learn it. But a lot of our riders that are especially on the verge of kind of that just bump to A or going locally double A or want to go nationally double A um, and go pro and make this their living. That's a good spot where we seem to help out a lot. And when I say we, my wife uh, works with me some on some of the mental stuff and yoga and uh, basically getting over injury and body uh, alignment as well as optimal performance for the body. So we do the full gamut uh, with some of the bigger programs on training, um, on the mental, on the nutrition, on, you know, riding and and setting everything up. So kind of have the full gamut from, you know, 20 bucks a month to 10,000 a month um, type of programs that uh, you could come and, and really enjoy and kind of learn as you go and, and, you know, pick the one that fits you the best. But uh, it's definitely my passion. I'm, um, I, I live, dream, and eat, uh, you know, dirt bikes still, and uh, it's been, you know, a fantastic, uh, fantastic journey for me to see the world and meet great people and, you know, taste dirt from around the world, so what I like to say, as well as now, um, get that same passion and purpose and put it into helping these riders, and um, the top program, I've got about 15 riders that I usually help, um, so there's not, you know, hundreds, it's a, a small uh, group, if you will. Um, that's individually coached and they're from all over the country and um, with the technology and uh, text and emails and phone and um, all the things that we can communicate with as well as, uh, you know, getting together and, and helping them with their races and getting their goals and dreams and getting them on factory bikes um, is one of the things that I help do and really enjoy it. So, um, yeah, I'd love to work with everybody from beginners to pros and, uh, you know, if you want to uh, I mean, come down to the area, whatever, definitely, you know, send me an email works the best. And I'm, I'm uh, determined to help make riders better and to become their best, not only on the dirt bike, that's the, really the platform, but behind the scenes of the guys and gals that get to know me will know that uh, I'm very driven to, to become my best, but uh, moreover than on just the dirt bike and, and, you know, and racing, but really in life also kind of put your best foot forward and do what you're going to do and say what you're going to say and do what you say. And, uh, you know, I like the old saying, you can make it happen or you can make excuses, but you can't do both. So um, I'm really driven to, you know, while we're here on this earth to, to do our best. Oh, I love it, man. Um, you for you were saying you travel around the country and do a couple, you know, uh, like kind of like traveling camps or traveling classes and things like that. Did you happen to do any of those and you stayed at uh, Brian and Sean Story's house? I have, um, yep. I'm good friends with Brian, and uh, and I do a lot of the, not a lot, but probably three or four a year at uh, you know Stories Farm right there. So I'll be having one coming up in uh, in December actually, as well as one in uh, Houston um, in December also. So I'm down in Texas quite a bit usually December. And then usually any um, do clinics as well as all over Florida, Georgia, Montana, Colorado, California, Arizona, New York, Connecticut, you name it. I'm all over the place. So, but yeah, that, awesome. they're great people and great places down there. How far are you from Brian? Oh man, I was uh, I was up at Adventure Motor today talking with him and Sean and talking about having you on today. And Sean actually wanted me to ask you 
Um, if if you if you really enjoyed the fish meal that she made for you last time you were in town, because she didn't know if you were just being nice or not to her. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Our, uh, our other friend Roberto uh, Denegri, he was down there with me, and we went over and they invited us for dinner, and it was fantastic. And yeah, Ryan and Sean are uh, fantastic uh, people, and I'm glad that you know he's still doing the the six days, and obviously getting to do it with his son and all sorts of stuff. They're great people, and and Brian's dad's a fantastic guy. So the whole the whole crew down there is amazing people, and you know I, I met Brian back. Uh, I think it was maybe 1990 or one of my first six days. So it's been a journey and, you know, 20 some years later, we're, we're all still friends and love riding those dirt bikes for that thing that twists on the right. Heck yeah. Well, I'll have to look into the date on the, in December because I'd love to come do that class with you guys. Um, uh, I know that I'm going to be doing the Grinduro and I can't remember the dates on that in December, but yeah, I'll check out your website, figure that out when you're coming. And if I can make it work, that'd be fantastic to get out there, do some video with you guys, show you how much I suck on a motorcycle, and then see how much better you can make me in a day or two. What do you think? That sounds awesome. It sounds like a, a bet and a good plan. And I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong, but I, I trained some riders in Texas too that think that's December like 3rd or 2nd, 3rd, 4th. <clears throat> Excuse me, the clinic in Dallas is, I'm pretty sure, the second weekend, like the eighth ninth tenth or something and then houston's the weekend after that so it might work out good so i'd love to have you and uh, yeah if you could do something uh, with the video or filming it or whatever it'd be great to have you and see if we can definitely get you better yeah i like it no less less suck as i like to say i may not be awesome but it's just less <laughs> suck awesome dude well as always i just really appreciate you spending some time with us and again i'm sorry about some of the technical difficulties we had earlier and as we do we always seem to go over but i just appreciate you taking some time to give us a little bit of a history lesson about mr steve hatch and then just sharing some stories with us because you know guys like myself who grew up watching you race it just means a lot you know to be able to have a little bit more inside knowledge on on uh, you badass racers and all the cool stuff that you guys have done and and then continue to still do for our sport so thank you awesome thank you so much for having me on brian appreciate it and uh, great job with everything you do and it's it's a lot of fun to see you enjoy your passion too dig it man well thank you very much you have a great time in new york you tell those uh you tell all those animals it's quiet time it's time for you to go to bed okay <laughs> i sure will sounds good <laughs> have you. a great night man take care bye as always it's such a pleasure to be able to chat with such badass racers i should have asked him more about the transition from two strokes to four strokes though make sure you reach out to steve hatch if you have questions or are in need of help on two wheels if you have some nutrition questions make sure you check out our enduro nutrition podcast from last week with jeffrey fryer Thanks for tuning in. If you're looking for more seat time content, please head to our YouTube channel. We have tons of reviews, riding with Woody, five years of off-road web shows, and random shenanigans. If you'd like to support us, consider becoming a patron on Patreon at patreon.com slash seat time. Buying a t-shirt from us at fpmg.threadless.com or using the affiliate links on seattime.co slash support. Thank you to our newest patrons, Ken and Dixie Brooks. We appreciate it. Remember, a like, a share, a comment, or a review helps out a ton. We appreciate your time and supportive seat time. Always enjoy a pint full of awesome, and we'll see you on the internet. Or at Zinc Ranch, whichever comes first.